Hi, 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 everyone. It's Roxy, and we're here for another episode of our Summer Saved by the City series. Caitlin's on a break to write her book, so we're doing something a little different for all of you missing your Saved by the City fix. We are going around the world to see what's what for seekers in other great cities. We will be returning with our regular show this fall, and we're going to kick season two off with a dream guest. All I'm prepared to say is get ready to get your El Shaddai on. But for now, grab your passport and meet me at Terminal A for Australia. That's right. We're going all the way across the world to Melbourne. From Religion News Service, it's Saved by the City, a podcast exploring the spiritual side of cities. From food to fashion to just finding your place in a city that can feel foreign. At Saved by the City, we are all about chasing our dreams without losing our devotion. And for this week's summer series, we are heading to where the trams are slow, the football is fast, and nobody drinks Starbucks. Melbourne, Australia. I have another new friend for you today, another person I've stalked on Twitter for a while and who, much to my delight, was excited to come and co-host with me. She has her own podcast, Where Do We Go From Here, where she's working to detangle, detox, and decompress from purity culture. Please welcome Debbie Abraham. Hi, Roxy. It's so good to join you today. I'm so glad that you could, or join me tomorrow. Tomorrow, for you. that's right. It is the <laughs> next day in Australia. <laughs> so I know this is going to come up because it's already come up when you and I were talking earlier, and I still can't get it right. Can you give us all a lesson on how to say the name of your city? Yeah, so it's Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah, that's better. <laughs> that's much better. You kind of okay. you have to you have to kind of rush the you kind of have to cover up the the second vowel. So it's Melbourne. It's like B N no O U. Yeah. Man, and the R just kind of gets lost. Yeah, it gets lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of your great city that I won't pronounce again. Yep. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about how you ended up there because it's not your native city and you don't really sound like you're from no. Australia. Yeah, very disappointingly. It's apparent <laughs> it's really hard to acquire an Australian accent and to sound sort of natural as an Australian. So I've just given up and um, been, you know, people think I'm from Canada now. It was that they thought I was from the US. <laughs> now they think I'm from Canada. So that's an improvement. But yeah, no, so I was born in Sri Lanka and I grew up in the Philippines and in Arkansas, actually, Northwest Arkansas. And I did four years of university in a small Christian college in Northwest Arkansas. And it was after that that I moved to Melbourne. And so, yeah, when I think about Melbourne, um, when I think about my life here, it's really the life of a, an immigrant. I moved here as a young adult who had grown up being told what to do for every part of my life, you know, typical evangelical upbringing. Don't drink, no drugs, no sex, mm -hmm. all of that. Mm -hmm. And and I remember actually moving to Melbourne and kind of forefront of my mind was like, this is the first time in my life I'm going to be allowed to drink. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? <laughs> and just, how, how old were you then? I was 23. <laughs> so, okay. Because okay. yeah, Christian school my whole life, Christian university. So we had signed the paper and I am a rule follower. So I really did not mm -hmm. go outside those boundaries. So that's kind of what Melbourne was for me, a place where I had to come to find uh, who I was again. And Melbourne is an incredibly diverse city. It's very, very multicultural. Um, it's a huge city. 
And I think I was able to find a church here. I think, unironically, I found I found a place that was a church that was planted by Americans that had mm-hmm. just as many rules. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I I found a real home there, actually, and a sense of belonging. And and that was kind of my my gateway to Melbourne in the first round. And I mean, it was different in a lot of ways. So people drank. Um, and, you know, but it was still very conservative in a lot of the ideas around marriage and family, and that kind of thing. But I embraced it. It was an evangelical church? Yes. Yeah, it was kind of a small Pentecostal church. Um, okay. Yeah, a charismatic church that was planted out of a movement out of the United States. And yeah, so it was a it was a fantastic experience that then, of course, fell apart at the end, as a lot of these consuming church experiences do. Um, but then I left Australia after three and a half years. I got married, moved to Switzerland. We were in Switzerland for three years, had my sons there, and then Sweden wow. for two years. And then we moved back to Australia in 2015. And, and so I'm kind of in my second experience of Melbourne and... And this one has been totally different because I moved here. Um, I moved here in a really difficult spot in my life. I think I had tried to make all those rules around marriage and family work for me. They hadn't. Mm-hmm. I moved here with a, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. I was tired. I was stressed. <laughs> I was tired of navigating medical systems in foreign languages. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah. And Melbourne just, for me, it just sort of opened its arms to me. And a lot of the friends I made in part one of Melbourne life um we're here for part two and had grown and you know a lot of us had just changed in our beliefs and whatnot and so when i think of melbourne and what the city kind of means to me i think of it as a place that's wide enough for the different experiences um and it can accept all these different versions of ourselves because yeah it's a broad place i think partly because of its migrant community um there's a just an enormous amount of diversity here Having spent a lot of your time um, in the States as well. Yes. um, What would you say are some very, some dramatic differences between the U.S. and Australia? Sure. I think, um, well, the big one is probably Australians have a real sense of equality and fairness in a a big, Mm -hmm. big way. So this idea that we want everyone to kind of have a similar experience of life here. So there's this thing called the tall poppy syndrome that whoever kind of sticks up kind of needs to get cut down. Mm -hmm. And I think even though Australians are really competitive when it comes to sports, um, there's a sense in life, I think, that in the U.S. you want to excel, you want to be the best. There's a competitiveness in everyday life Mm -hmm. that Australians would not look upon with kindness uh, at Mm. all. So that's... That's one big difference. I think um, Australians are very laid back. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a there's a sense to which, you know, you want to get through your day, you want to chill out. Leisure is a really big deal. So four weeks mm-hmm. of annual leave. Um, people, our city, Melbourne is planned in a way that there's green space throughout the whole city. And um, people love to, you know, they'll take off work at four on a nice day, drive to the beach. Um, drive to the mountains, go cycling. All of those things are really core to Australian values. Um, well, Australian, but then Melbourne in, in some really specific ways. Sport, mm-hmm. sport is a huge deal in Melbourne. <laughs> 
I can't speak to that much as I am really completely out of it. <laughs> but but we have we have international sporting events here. We have the Grand Prix in March. Well, this is of yeah. course before COVID, but um, we have the Grand Prix in March. We have the international horse race in November. Um, called the Melbourne Cup. There's the Australian Open in January in Melbourne. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff going on. So play and leisure. Yes. I mean, that sounds really nice to me. Yes, it it is nice. (laughs) I mean, the, 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 you know, the grind here of climbing the ladder and getting there and like the hustle of that's so valued in the U.S. is, you know, I can find the the virtues in that but it's also it's an exhausting way to live too right yeah and i i do think sometimes that australian culture can be the way that it is because it is so disconnected from the rest of the world um Mm. you know there's no border it doesn't you know so there's yeah so i think in as much as we have a lot of migration and so in that way it's not so insular and i'm grateful for that there's there's a way in which Australia can kind of do its own thing because it is so separate, mm. you know, from the rest of the world, I think. And a lot of s- scary poisonous animals. Many poisonous animals. That is true. <laughs> yes, we've got poisonous spiders in our backyard. Some of the worst snakes in the world, the most deadly snakes. I want to say four or five of them live in Victoria. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's plenty. There's plenty. Then the saltwater crocodiles that I think look like dinosaurs, but those are up mm-hmm. north. Those aren't here. So yeah, there's a lot of excitement in, in life in Australia, and a lot of a lot of natural beauty as well. But mm-hmm. but Australians really prize their way of life, and Melbournians do too. So Melbourne's been named the most livable city in the world for like really uh, yeah years in a row. I don't know what's happened since COVID. But before COVID, mm. it had been named, I want to say, the eighth year in a row it was most livable city. And there are years when it kind of toggles with Vienna and Vancouver. Those are the two mm. cities that kind of competition. But yeah, it's just, it's really, um, it's an easy place to live. It's a beautiful place. And those are things Australians, Melbournians really hold prize. They prize very, very highly. And I love food yes and love to eat out (laughs) and I think you mentioned that it's that because of the immigration because of this rich diversity of cultures you also have a rich food scene a rich food scene I mean and I I think there's such a wonderful arrogance about Melbourne when it comes to our food and coffee I was I was looking we have a croissant shop in the city called Loon Croissantery and I was reading on the New York Times and the headline when they had written about Loon was is this the best croissant in the whole world and that's just the kind of arrogance that I think we have in Melbourne that the New York Times would be like we might have the best croissant in the world. It's not in France. It's in Melbourne. And so, uh-huh. yeah, that's just <laughs> that's just kind of how we roll. I mean, I've had first-generation Italians who were raised in Italian-speaking households in Melbourne who lived in Italy after say that Italian food is better in Melbourne than it is in Italy. Wow. Yeah, because of all the fusion. I think that's what happens yeah. here is you take, you have all the building blocks of good, authentic, everything, Italian, Turkish, Greek, um, Vietnamese, Chinese, Thai, you know, just literally every Indian, everything. And then people will mix it and fuse it with other things. And so modern Australian cuisine is also has become really interesting. Plus, I think we have just fantastic climate and um, soil for growing things. So we have and the the European migrants who came here just sort of set up these beautiful gardens and vineyards. And mm. yeah, it's really it's lovely. <laughs> 
That well, that being said, <laughs> I won't. I, I'll, I'll I'll leave you with this. this. This this still kind of iconic Australian food item is a snag or a sausage in a piece of Wonder Bread. <laughs> like you you imagine a square piece of bread and you put the sausage kind of diagonally and you kind of fold it up. And then cover that with like grilled onions on the barbecue. And that is still the iconic Australian <laughs> food item. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. And then you put Vegemite on it? N- no, <laughs> no oh. not Vegemite, but yes. But yeah. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the church yes. in Melbourne and what that is like. And we are going to do that right after we give a shout out to our patrons who make all of this possible. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. For the best in global religion reporting, religionnews.com. And if you like what we're doing at Save by the City, let us know. You can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Send an email to sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com or follow along on Twitter at hashtag SavedByTheCity. All right. Well, now that we've done the travel brochure segment of the episode <laughs> and convinced everyone listening that they should move to Melbourne. Yes. Yeah. Um, Melbourne. Yes. Melbourne. <laughs> tell me a little bit about just the broad religious landscape of the city just in general like what is if you were going to describe like the spiritual vibes of your city what what is it like that's a great way to put the question i think um you know like a lot of christians i am in a bit of a christian bubble here mm-hmm. and but i think i think it's just over 50% of australians would say that they are christian in some way mm-hmm. but it's around 30% who would say that they are a nun Australia has a real feeling of being post-Christian in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and very different from the United States in that regard. So there isn't a religious fervor about all of political decisions or anything Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. in the way that you see, you know, the religious right in the United States. And is there a sense of religious tolerance then of a, of a, of living truly in a pluralistic society or is there hostility or skepticism between those faiths? Yeah, I think Christians in in Melbourne, like Christians maybe in the United States, would probably say they feel a hostility uh, toward mm. Christianity here. Yeah, I, my personal opinion is that Christians in Australia or Melbourne are not persecuted in any way. I think that's right. a bit of that American, exporting of the American complex over here. And in terms of the evangelical landscape of Australia. I just really think Hillsong, like that's it's the huge. Australian import of evangelicalism. Yes. So <laughs> I am curious what the, cause we have our thoughts about Hillsong as Americans, but I am curious like in its home country, what the sort of thinking around Hillsong yes. is or toward Hillsong. Yeah. It's fascinating to me. It's very negative, very negative. Mm. Um, so, mm. I mean, I still remember talking to a friend of mine who she was not a Christian at all, then converted to Catholicism for marriage. And when she talked about Hillsong, she was like, it's a cult. And she she's from mm. Sydney. She's from Sydney. Mm-hmm. And so I think for so many non-Christians, they find the 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 kind of loyalty that is expected that's pretty typical for pentecostal churches we need to honor our pastors honor our leaders mm-hmm. that is seen as kind of cultic um the tithing thing so that's very different right. from traditional australian church right so the traditional australian church would be roman catholic 
or Anglican or some kind of congregational where tithing is part of the service, but it's not a big deal. It's like, here we go, we're going to pass the plate, you know, you give. Whereas in Hillsong and most charismatic churches I've been to, there's kind of a 10-minute break, 5 to 10-minute break in the service to do a little tithing sermon. (laughs) And then you you tithe, you know. And so that is seen as very um, different. And then I would say media in Australia really does not understand Hillsong. And so there's quite an adversarial relationship there in terms of what makes the news. And this is, of course, Mm -hmm. before things that should really make the news, (laughs) like what's happened with, yeah. Mm -hmm. At the time of recording of this podcast, um, Brian Houston had just a few days ago been served, yeah, served with charges against him for um, covering up sexual abuse by his father yeah, to young boys in the congregation. And that's dogged him his whole career. But you're saying that in a lot of ways, up until this point, the media coverage of Hillsong has maybe been about less important issues. Yeah. So like Brian Houston's salary. I mean, this is a big point of <laughs> right. fixation for Australians. Right. It's like, why right. does this pastor earn so much money? And also things, I mean, as trivial as like, why would Justin Bieber want to join this church? I mean, this is very mm-hmm. mysterious to Australians because they do not like, I think, what Hillsong is really about. I still remember when Carl Lentz was in uh, was in Sydney for Hillsong Conference the year that Justin Bieber was supposedly, you know, in attendance in Sydney. And he's on TV with an Australian reporter. And he was basically saying, look, Americans like us, (laughs) like the American media (laughs) likes us. And I understand that you guys don't really like Hillsong that much. So it was so interesting to me that he could see that in the US, he was treated then very favorably by by US media. But now, you know, Australia just didn't really get it. Yeah, and it's a shame because they really they need that credibility now to be able to report these important stories and they don't right. have it. I mean, I think I was looking on on Bobby Houston's Instagram account, the last post she had, and there was comments like people going, we're praying for you. You know, there were letters of Paul written from prison mm-hmm. cells and things mm-hmm. like that. And people just, mm-hmm. I, I don't under, you know, th- there's just a lack of, I think, because there's this narrative that's been there the whole time that the press is just attacking Hillsong, the press is attacking Brian and Bobby Houston. Right. I think right now where we have Brian's testimony, it's right there. You can see what he did. It's obvious. That's mm-hmm. public, the testimony that he did for the Royal Commission. Right. And there's been other allegations about abuse cover-up Yes, to Hillsong. Um, I mean, I've been reporting on this quite yes. a bit the last couple of years. And Hillsong is its own. It, we could do a whole podcast series on Hillsong. Probably. Yes, you could. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing about Hillsong is that Brian and Bobby Houston are so well loved by the Hillsong community. Right. I have friends who have worked in Hillsong um, and who who might have critical things to say about the organization itself or the church itself, but you won't find them saying anything negative about Brian and Bobby. Like mm. they love them. They love them. And they, they truly yeah. believe that they are mission driven, that they're about spreading the good news of Jesus, that they're about the church being the hope of the world. And that uh, they would say that they've seen them do that, that they don't care about celebrity, they don't care about all these things. And yeah, I I hear that from a lot of people, not just sort of one or two. So it's interesting. There's a a lot of loyalty there. Yeah. 
That is very interesting. Yeah. And I think for churches in Australia, they are the model to follow. The Hillsong looms large in the church uh, psyche, if you will, in Mm. Australia, because they did it. They did it in Mm -hmm. Sydney. They got this Mm -hmm. big, they got this powerful prime minister of Australia is like Brian Houston, spiritual, you know, advising Mm -hmm. the prime minister. I mean, the two largest churches in Melbourne are churches that are not not the same as Hillsong. One is a Baptist Pentecostal church and one is sort of an independent Pentecostal church, but it's a similar format, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So... (sighs) I'm guessing that that's not where you go to church. <laughs> it is not. I go to an Anglican um, church. <laughs> you you attract you attract the same people. <laughs> we do, apparently. <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit about um, you know your podcast and and just the kind of the work that you're doing sure. um, around digging into deconstructing perhaps like this purity culture ideology that many of us grew up in. So tell our listeners a little bit about what they will hear on your podcast and the work that you're doing over there. Sure. So where do we go from here is um, Jessica Vanderweingard and I co-host it. And Jess is the filmmaker behind I Survived, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. So the the documentary Mm -hmm. that covers Josh Harris's life. So it's not Josh Harris's documentary, guys. It's Jess's documentary. I feel like it's my job to to correct that everywhere I go. So she made the film. It's a wonderful film. And um, we really, I think we are, we are, we are two women who were so shaped by purity culture messages. And I think what we've found is those messages go to the core. They, they are about your body. They're about what you can and cannot do. And they impact long after even you reject the ideas. And so what we wanted to do was have a podcast that was looking not just at what went wrong in the past, but also was giving people tools and equipping them to make better decisions going into the future. And so that's really what we do. We kind of split our time going, what's wrong with modesty culture? And also, Mm. let's take a look at attachment and how does attachment form relationships so that you can have better relationships Mm -hmm. going into the future. So that's kind of, I I think, a a good way to to see it. But um, yeah, purity culture was really harmful. And it takes a long, long time to rebuild after. And But I think the journey is so yeah. precious. I think there's a real treasure that you uncover in the process of rediscovering who you are. Well, <laughs> I resonate with so much of that. And um, having also been part of that, which we've talked some about in this podcast yes. before, I definitely urge... <laughs> people listening to this if that's part of your past and if that's something that you're really trying to work through where do we go from here debbie's podcast is i highly recommend oh thank you roxy that means a lot so debbie you like me came to your city your current city at midlife at you know you've you'd been you'd been through some life before you got there you know when I moved to New York I was in my 30s and one of the things that sort of that moment of arrival it was it's it's exciting to be in a new city you're discovering a lot but it can also be like a very lonely time because you are having to find your place yes. in a new city, in a new environment, in a new community, in a new church, and finding those friendships, well, I found it to be pretty difficult. Yeah, absolutely. It is. I think I think there's really something to be said about finding community as an adult. 
when all of the boundaries of school get kind of taken away yes. from you. Yes. And yeah, it's natural environment. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it is really challenging. And then of course, you know, we're changing in that process too. We're not kind of static. I think Absolutely. that's the other thing about adulthood is there's a lot of change, like change of mind, change of belief, change, etc. Mm-hmm. And so having to find community that will really be able to accept you and grow with you through that those changes is, I think, a, an enormous challenge for people of our generation. It really is. It's harder to make friends as an adult. And there's not a ton of support systems, I don't think, for that. No, there aren't. And then, you know, your time is a little bit more precious as well. Yes. You don't have as oh much goodness, time yes. to just kind of to kind of dole out to people and that kind of thing. I think one thing that's unusual about Melbourne is just because of how big it is. I mean, it's enormous. Mm -hmm. I want to say the geographical Mm -hmm. size is sort of three times the size of Los Angeles. And um, yeah, so you can drive, like one of my best friends lives about an hour and a half from me in the same city Mm -hmm. as me. (laughs) And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a real challenge to see people and you really have to prioritize how, you know, how that's all going to work. And I found myself wanting more and more as I kind of, as we really intentionally put down roots now in Melbourne and Mm -hmm. really settle to get to know my neighbors. I think that's one thing Mm -hmm. the pandemic has given us um, eyes for, right? It's just kind of, okay, we're here. We are literally here. And now I have made 12 muffins that either I am going to eat or I'm going to share (laughs) with my neighbors. And so, you know, the need to kind of go knocking on people's doors again and leaving treats and and sharing and helping. And that has been just such a gift and an unexpected source of community for us has just been getting to know our, our neighbors. Yeah, I actually had the same experience. Um, the whole like three years that I lived in East Village, I never met any. I, I met one person in my building and that was it. Okay. And now like in my new building, and I'm sure part of it's the personalities in the building, but I know everyone who lives in my building. Wow. There's, there was something about, you know, I'm here most of the time. Um people were just actually hungry to talk because, and they weren't like, people weren't always like in a rush to go to their job or to go see their friends or to go to whatever date or whatever, you know, catch a movie, go to Broadway play, whatever. Like they're, they're sort of like, well, I'm just here. So I guess I'll sit on the stoop and talk to people who walk by, you know? So it's just a very different environment than I think New York, than I'd experienced New York to be in the past. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that. It's not how people think of yeah. New York um, either. So yeah, I love that. But yeah. I do think, you know, ultimately my most lasting connections here in the city, my longest connections here in the city have, have almost all of them have been made at, at church. Yes. Has that been an area of community for you? The first church that I joined in part one of my life in Melbourne, that that church was had we had something special there as far as community. Mm. And and it could be that it was a stage of life that a lot of us mm-hmm. were in. A lot of us were single. So we had yeah. It was just such a wonderful, you know, time going out to eat after church, um, mm-hmm. late night prayer meetings, you know, a lot of these these different bonding, kind of Christian bonding activities that we really we're hungry for and met, you know, so many of our, our needs in that sense. And I, you described it earlier in the episode as 
consuming. Yes. A consuming it, experience. Yeah, that it really did. resonates. Yeah, yeah. It was there's something about church in your twenties that a particular kind of church experience that is very consuming. It's yeah. it becomes a most of your life. Exactly. And I mean, yes, so it consumed a lot of my time, a lot of my energy. Really the best part of my time and my energy went went to building this church. And um, so when I came back in 2015, a lot of my closest friends were still friends I had met at that church, even though mm. we were not at all in those ch- in that church anymore. And mm-hmm. we were all kind of splintered off into different churches. I think what I found is that the, the roots of those relationships held many mm. of them still held. And, and so, um, yeah. And then we joined this Anglican church, uh, sort of three years ago. And I, th- I think in this particular instance, I think that's one of the wisdom, uh, lessons from the consuming church experience is to just take it slow for me. Um, mm-hmm. that's what I've done now in every church I've joined since is to just go, okay, there's no rush. Um, I want to take my time. I want to build. It became very important to me to build a sense of trust, um, to to feel like what I'm doing is based on the fact that I want to do it, that I am called mm-hmm. to do it, um, that I trust the people I'm doing it with. That became very, very important to me. And so um, it's been very slow. It's been a different kind of community yeah. building experience this time around. It's been much, much slower, um, but it feels safer too. So New York definitely has, like we talked about sort of earlier, uh, you know, city can have like a spiritual vibe or a religious landscape. New York has a friendship vibe. Mm. Um, like everybody imagines the sort of sex in the city. Yes. Uh, friends. Yes, yes. Um, how I Met Your Mother. Like these, the, the group of like really close-knit friends that are always popping in and out of each other's apartments. And um, that's what kind of like that's the dream. Um, I don't know anybody who has that. <laughs> um, it's like the the real friendship vibe of New York is like you get together with people, like one person, you have dinner, you see that person like once every couple of weeks. Um, people travel, people work, you know, you and you end up having at least often it can be like you end up having a, a series of a lot of one-on-one kind yeah. of situations, not as much of the group thing. Um, unless it's like a party or something, which we do fewer of those these days. Um, but it can be, it can, it, so, so New York can have a, a bit of an isolating or, um, you know, you, you end up in a lot of these pods um, or these groups of friends that don't really overlap. Um, what would you say if, in terms of Melbourne? <laughs> getting better, getting better, good. <laughs> Like, what is the friendship vibe or the the ways people are building community there? Well, Roxy, I was thinking about the friendship vibes of Melbourne, and I did get really curious about how people in my community or people that I know in Melbourne, how do they actually find community? So I sent word out to a bunch of my friends, and I asked them how they made community in their lives, both in the pandemic and during the before times, maybe more before times. <laughs> <laughs> What did they say? I will let them tell you for themselves because they sent in some tape. All right. We're going to get some Australian accents. My name is Amy and I'm from Winterna South. I've maintained community by acting on the little thoughts that pop into my head. So when I think about someone who I haven't caught up with in a while, I started to actually go and message that person. 
It can be a little scary the first couple times, but it's always worth it. Hi, my name is Ken and I'm from Brunswick. I'm a pastor, so I could be very comfortable with the faith community that I'm a part of. One of the big things my wife and I have done is for the past nearly four years now, we host a very laid back and simple barbecue at our house every Tuesday night. Just a very simple Aussie barbecue, sausages, chicken wings, salad, and we never know who's coming. Sometimes it's heaps of people, sometimes it's just our family. Um, we've even had strangers rock up who have been referred to our little barbecue. I think that hospitality helps build community. You know, this idea of hospitality, providing food, providing drink, but more than that, it's providing acceptance. It's uh, uh, providing this idea of, of curiosity, trying to listen to people, find out more about them, listening to their stories, their opinions, their dreams. Thank you. My name is Jeremy and I'm from the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. I found others who were also open, willing, and had a similar desire to seek a richer understanding. And so those conversations eventually landed me into a prayer meeting. In our prayer meeting, we were praying for our city and, you know, and praying for people groups, you know, not even just in Australia, Melbourne, but beyond or across the world. In praying together, that led to God shaping all of our hearts to be more like His. And since for us in the meeting, we had hearts more like His, then our hearts together were more like one another's as well. It's all been a fairly organic process of God shaping hearts and minds with His vision, but still leveraging a lot of the existing relational networks to connect more and more people together. My name's Belinda and I live in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. And I find that community is something that I really value, but is something that I have to work hard at as somebody who lives on their own. During lockdown, that's been difficult trying to find community when you can't really leave your little area of Melbourne and it's more difficult to spend time with people. But community is something that I think is really important to make sure that you still have that connection with one another. Hi, my name is Bethany and I'm from the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. I, yeah, I tend to be quite intentional in forming friendships and I think friends would say, yeah, you, you persisted with me or, you know, um, that, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, anyway, take it or leave it. But yeah, that's, that's something about me. My name is Darshini Ayton and I am from Southbank in Melbourne. I've lived here for three years. Um, and we moved into an apartment building just as it had finished getting built. And so the community, even in our apartment building, is really strong because a lot of people moved in at the same time and we set up a book club and a movie club and um, people are really social. Um, we go for walks together, we check in on each other um, and it's just an incredible sense of community. The other thing that is amazing around this area is people walk a lot and so you see people on the street, um, you get to know each other and during lockdown um, a lot of people in the area got puppies and so um, there's now a community of puppies and dogs um, owners in the area. We see each other when we go on walks and sometimes we coordinate through WhatsApp um, 
uh, specific walking times and so that's been really nice um, and then just walking around to shops um, in the local area and being able to shop local and support community members um, walks. I feel incredibly lucky to live where I live. Um, it's a very multicultural group of people across different age groups that we're all connecting um, and I feel very fortunate to be able to call that my home. Man, there were so many pandemic puppies yeah. in my neighborhood. That is so real. Um, it was just like every time I'd go for a walk, I'd see a new like bumbling puppy coming oh, yeah. down. And I got to know so many of them. It's It was actually, I resonate with that. That was like a fun part of the pandemic was all these people figuring out how to have dogs together. Yes, yeah, so it's global, you see. It was. So. Um, no, that was super interesting. I, I love just hearing people's stories about finding and building and forging friendships and community. Um, And, you know, it's, they're not so, not so different over there in Australia. No, no. Isn't that interesting? I think the, the way that we are so similar in, well, I think the need that we have for human connection, I feel Mm -hmm. like we, we feel that more instinctively now than maybe we did even two years ago after the pandemic, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And so many other things were stripped away from us. Exactly. Um, that really was like, oh, this is a core thing that I yeah. can't give up. Yeah. Well, I have had a great time talking to you. And I really do someday want to come visit i have never been to australia and i would actually really love to come and you must you can come stay with you me make roxy it sound amazing <laughs> it, yeah it really really is it's a dream dream destination but no one's allowed in right now so I know. <laughs> good luck anyway <laughs> yeah no um well thank you for being on saved by the city and um telling us about your city about melbourne and um, you did good that was great thank you i'm getting there (laughs) um tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and connect with you sure so you can connect with me on instagram and twitter at debbie underscore rights and you can find the podcast on instagram and twitter at where do we go pod and at where do we go pod.com is our home online all right yeah do we just go straight into it yeah (laughs) sure Saved by the City is a religion news service production. The executive producer is Jay Woodward, and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We get production assistance from Elizabeth Joy Windham. Debbie Abraham is our amazing co-host and Melbourne ambassador. Chaz Russo put together our look, and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Debbie Abraham and Roxy Stone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We never get it right. That's part of what's cute about it. (laughs) 